Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everybody. This is Helena Hart. Welcome back to the Master Your Magnetism podcast. I'm talking with Jack Butler again today. He's a dating and authenticity coach who helps people become more of who they are so they can be loved for who they are in relationships and in any area of life. Welcome, Jack. Thanks for joining me again. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always good to be here. I'm excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm actually really excited about this topic. I don't know too much about what you're going to share, but I know you have some brand new content or ideas that you've never shared anywhere else before about the new social contract and some trends that you've been noticing in terms of maybe people feeling more isolated or depressed or anxious. I'm really looking forward to diving deep into this topic today. Is there anything you want to say before we get started? Yeah, so a lot of this is kind of emerging for me. So forgive me if it's not super well put together, but I do feel like these topics are important for us to be talking about. And almost I want to start with maybe just a little bit of my own journey in this territory, meaning, you know, for the longest time I've coached people, right? And coaching is typically, I do do some group work, but it's typically like one-to-one -one coaching. And the presupposition in some ways of that is you as an individual can transform yourself, right? And I absolutely believe that. I've seen it. I've worked on myself. I've worked with thousands of people in this kind of way. And I've often said to people, don't worry too much about the overall trends because actually it only takes one, right? If you want to date, it only takes one person that you want to date. Or if you want to get into a relationship or if you want to change one thing about your life, you can do that at the level of the individual. But I also did train in sociology, social psychology, and the social sciences. And increasingly, i feel aware that there may be some bigger trends going on, that it's not just possible for the individual to be the only place that we look at them. And so there's a whole host of things that we could talk about from diseases of despair, rates of addiction, opioid addiction, issues that teens are having, teenage depression, teenage suicidal ideation, even the general sense, if you ask people the question, how much do you trust other people, that that figure is at one of the lowest apparently that it's ever been. Mm. And I'm not sure that we're talking possibly about, well, how do we move forward with that? Or even just acknowledging that maybe there are some issues here that aren't going to necessarily always be amenable to, well, what's the next self-help book that you can read? Interesting. And we are broadcasting live on Bullhorn today, by the way, I forgot to mention that. So say hi in the chat. We would love to hear from you in this one. If you have any experiences about this, or if you have any questions about this topic or anything else, we would love to interact with everyone and help you out with your specific situation. That's so interesting what you were saying. And I can relate to that too. I've been coaching for over a decade now. And I would always say, like, don't worry about the statistics. Don't worry about what's yes. going on. Like, yes. You don't have to be a statistic. Like, you're a powerful yes. creator of your own experience. You can have whatever you want. Basically, you can create the life you want or have the kind of relationship you want. It doesn't have to look like what everyone else is doing. And yes is perfectly fine. And that's fantastic, actually. But what you're saying is you've shifted a little bit. And now you're looking less at 
the self part of the self-help and more towards the trends of what's going on in society as a whole. Do I have that right? Yeah. So for clarity, that frame of what can I do, what's in my power, that is an extremely empowering frame. And so I'm, I'm definitely not saying we need to put that frame down. I'm just saying there may be other frames that we also could do well to look at, you know, so, so even mm -hmm. simplistically, and this is, I think, true of younger generations, right? They're just people are in fewer relationships. So that doesn't mean that you can't be in a relationship, right? But it, it, if you just look at that as a global trend, if we were saying, hey, put down the coach hat and put on the sociologist hat, it's probably going to mean fewer people are in relationship. So there's probably fewer relationships. So if you're having the experience, go, I just put all this effort into my dating and nothing's happening. We might not want you to get overwhelmed by trying to think of it as, a, oh, wow, what, what can I do? This is a big sociological trend. But it's also to have compassion for people's experience. Like, yeah, there might just be a little less of that happening and certainly happening in the ways that it once did, right? Most people have a preference, for instance, of meeting someone organically. So the number of people who are meeting someone organically and starting a relationship is probably at an all-time low. Mm -hmm. so, so the desire that people have and the sort of availability in the marketplace are two different things. So I think we might just want to include that. Doesn't mean it's not possible. Doesn't mean you can't just have the same focus on, well, what do I want and going after it? But it might just provide a little bit of a backdrop to what is actually happening. So interesting. I actually did an episode, I think it was at the end of last year with Mark Rosenfeld on, mm. I think it was a, some news article that he saw or some trend that by, I'm making up the year on this, but by the yes. year 2030 or something like yes. that, yes. the percentage of single women will be at an all-time high. And it's by choice in a lot of ways. Like a lot of people are just choosing to say goodbye to dating or not trying yeah. to be in a relationship anymore. It's just too difficult. There's too much going on out there. It's not worth it to them. And we talked pretty in depth about that. It's really interesting. What are some other trends you've seen out there that you wanted to talk about today? Well, one of the things we could talk about is what is happening with men, right? Mm -hmm. So I think like you, probably most of the time that I've been in this field, most of my attention has been on working with women. That's been the, the, the majority of, of my kind of audience and people that I, I work directly with. But it seems like there are some changes that are happening for men in terms of their interest in getting into relationship. That, I mean, you know, for instance, that there's, there's been this whole sort of like pushback movement against the rise of feminism. So yes. whether we consider ourselves feminists or not, nearly all of us are living in, in a world that has been heavily changed. And I think mostly helpfully by the rise of feminism, but we could talk about that. But there's also, I think, a sort of like a, a more traditional pushback to that from men who are concerned, I think, also reasonably about some of their rights. And this has to do with, for instance, fathers who go through divorce and don't feel like they've got the access to their children that they would like. Or just even if you look on the you know, the YouTube manosphere, quite a lot of skepticism about the, even the desirability of getting into a relationship. You know that mm -hmm. that, that is that is either increasingly transactional, or that is actually somehow it's a bad deal for men. Which is it's actually not probably borne out by the data, right? So if you look at it at large, generally men seem to do better in terms of their health health outcomes if they're in long term relationships. Men also statistically have a, a harder time often in separation than women. I think probably because they have less dense social networks, fewer right. friends to, uh -huh. to, to turn to. And also probably because men 
traditionally at least are, are less good at opening up and asking for help. They are not seen as traditional kind of masculine virtues versus the, the kind of the virtues of stoicism and self-reliance and kind of put up with, you know, put up with things, don't necessarily uh, focus on the problems, find your own solutions. So, you know, all of this is sort of going on in the background whilst people are out there on the Wild West front lines of dating apps, you know, which I think, for instance, most people have a very varied experience of that, that, that actually mm. a lot of the, the connections they have are low grade, sometimes rude, offensive, trivial. There's all the kind of apathy of, obviously, when you got your first match, you probably had high hopes, right? If this is match 100 or match 1,000 or match 5,000, probably you're having a different experience at that point of the likelihood that you think this could even go somewhere. So it's a, it's a complex sort of social phenomena that's, that's happening in the background. Meanwhile, you know, I've been interested to try to talk a bit more to men about well, what does it actually mean to be a more integrated man who has some of these traditional virtues and values, but also who has taken on the fact that feminism has happened. We have a, a more postmodern culture. There are so many benefits of that in terms of, you know, a movement towards equality and, you know, empowered women and female entrepreneurs. And, you know, there's so many things that we could say that have been benefits of that. I won't even do it a great job. You know, some people can talk to that better than I can. And also that we now, as men, increasingly have the ability to say, hey, yeah, I do want to go see a therapist. Hey, I do want to go look after my mental health. Hey, actually, I do need some help. Yeah, I am in touch with what I'm feeling. And how do we sort of put that together? It's almost like I think there's a package, you call it the integrated man, that hasn't yet been sold to men that I think is a better thing than the either or. So either I'm you know, sort of overly in touch with my feelings, but I can't really like hold down responsibility. That would sort of be the critique of a traditional man towards a more postmodern mm. man. Or the postmodern man back to the traditional man is, you know, you haven't, you know, the world's moved on and you're kind of stuck back in a, in a very traditional view that's actually patriarchal and isn't getting us where we need to go. Like we're actually needing to dismantle that. So I think it's a very complex situation we find ourselves in, but without necessarily the, the sort of the new narratives that are going to take us with a vision to a better place. So interesting. What would you say to a woman? I'm sure you hear from women mm -hmm. in your community all the time who are in that spot where they're out there and trying to date, would like yeah. to be in a relationship with one person, just a traditional relationship, or maybe they want to settle down and have a family one day. And they're feeling this out there. They're feeling men being apathetic or not really wanting to commit and things like that. Yeah. What advice do you have for someone who's in that situation, but still wants to have that partnership? Yeah. Well, firstly, I would say I, I, they have my compassion because I think that can be difficult to not feel met when you know that you have a lot to offer and that you're trying and that you're showing up. And uh, It's just difficult, right? Any domain of life where you're sustaining interest and engagement and you're not really feeling met, that that's just difficult and, and probably painful and, and might be leading to some feelings of hopelessness. I do think that there are a group of men who absolutely are, you know, partnering, wanting to partner. And in some ways, it gives those men a little bit of an, an edge, I think, in the dating field, because, you know, men that want that are the men in some ways that, you know, women who date men, that they are the men that they want to date. So I, I, I think they're out there. It's just almost like we've, you know, through the advanced technology that has completely changed this dating world in a really short space of time, it's almost like we've 
the fancy term would be you know, disintermediated, right? It just sort of means we've removed some of the mediating factors, which would have been, well, you know, we met at college or, you know, we met at church or, you know, we met because we were part, you know, our families kind of grew up together or some of those more traditional ways of meeting people. It, it's so much harder to, to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I would encourage people to be really proactive with their filtering, Right, so to really you know think about the things that you're 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 filtering on that might support getting getting higher quality matches, and increasing the amount of face to face interactions that you have in your life, you know, because this comes back to I don't know if you know this the bowling alone was this famous two thousand work from a Harvard academic I think it is uh, Robert Putnam, and he basically talked about the the fact that membership in sort of social associations, clubs, political parties, churches had just gone down precipitously since the 1960s mm. so that people have many more few social interactions. Now, we have the advantages of all the ways that we can connect online. So it's this slight paradox that more people are involved, but we have fewer clubs and fewer face-to-face interactions. So even something like chess, which has kind of exploded in interest on the back of what was the Netflix show, The, the Queen's Gambit, Oh yeah, and, uh-huh. so and particularly in women and girls, right? So many, many more playing chess, which is absolutely fantastic. I love chess. You know, played it most of my life. I think it's a great, great game. And probably most of that isn't happening because people are joining like the local chess club, right? Probably it's because people are going to play online. So mm-hmm. I think anything that you can do to put yourself in face-to-face situations, you know, even if it's just going down to the coffee shop more, going to the yoga class more, going to the the dog park more, taking yourself outside more you know, trying to connect more in person with friends and asking them to bring other friends along, you know, joining some kind of meetup group or something that has more face-to-face interactions. I think that's going to be a, a better path for people because it, it it's going to feel like less energy. It's almost like something you want to do. And then if you meet someone, it's a bonus. Whereas I think when you're doing the dating apps, you know, you might be using it to meet someone as a friend. You might be totally open to that. But mostly I think women are, are wanting to you know, get into a romantic relationship. So the strike rate is going to be really low. And I think that's, that's what's difficult about that. So if you find yourself with a, an increased sense of loneliness from spending a lot of time on the apps, I would really encourage you to, to put them down and to, to focus on the things that already enhance your life. And then if you were to meet someone, that would be a bit more like the cherry on the cake, as opposed to we're just going for cherries. But meanwhile, there's no cake in sight. Mm, That is such great advice. Elizabeth in the chat says, wow, great conversation. I'm glad you're enjoying this. We would love to hear everyone's experiences with this out there. Where's everyone at? Are you single and dating? Are you online dating? Are you finding yourself feeling lonely and isolated sometimes even just working from home? I tend to feel like I'm the only one going through this experience and then reaching out to other friends and coaches who do the same thing. Everyone's feeling the same way. We're just kind of having this experience of sort of being in our own little bubble. Everyone's doing that on their own. It's so interesting. Yep. I think that's really good advice. And I love what you said about going out and doing it for just the pleasure of being out doing something you enjoy rather than this results oriented mindset. If I'm going to go out and meet 10 different guys, and hopefully one of them is the right one, because I'm so tired of dating. So yeah, Elizabeth says she's single and dating. Yeah, I think probably most women in this community are at that place. So I'm so happy to be having that conversation. I know you also mentioned that people are feeling more isolated just in yes. general these days, right? Yes, totally. Yeah, and, and, and the literature on that, they, they kind of distinguish. They talk about loneliness 
and they distinguish it from solitude or being alone, right? So, you know, being alone is the sort of the physical, I, I am, you know, literally, if we looked at it objectively, yes, you are on your own right now. But loneliness is the sense that that is painful or that you're, you know, desiring a quality or quantity of social interactions or romantic interaction that you don't have. So, yeah, by most measures, loneliness is on the rise and it, it then tends to lead to other other sort of compounding social factors. So it leads to things like an increased unconscious surveillance for social threats. I think because humans are deeply social beings, if we spend a lot of time on our own, it seems like people are more having to look out for themselves, right? Almost like they have to have their own backs more. So it can start to erode at the sense of social safety. It seems like it impacts sleep. I was even looking at this kind of funny. It wasn't that long ago, you know, like maybe a, a few hundred years in human evolution, that it would have been really normal for like a stack of humans to sleep together. And you no, know, none of that being like a, a sexual thing, even sort of people traveling apparently in sort of middle ages. I mean, obviously, this is like an incredibly poor society versus, you know, a 21st century society that most of mm -hmm. us know, at least in the West, that people would just kind of share in the bed probably wasn't a bed in the way that we would think of a bed share the hay bale or whatever it is mm -hmm. just yeah a much different way of, of approaching that area of life and today's this weird thing that we it's like so many things in society we know so much more right we so we know so much more about the factors that impact sleep you know and, and how to you know have blackout shades and you know, eye masks and you know tape your mouth or you know, put strips on your nose to increase your breathing or take your nasal mm -hmm. decongestion or control the temperature of your room or have your nest and your thermostat. And yet, even though we know so much about it and we have so many tools for it, I think a lot of people actually just feel a little less safe in their social connections and that that probably at some very deep animalistic level is having an impact on their sleep. Isolation can also you know, affect hormonal cycles and they ask the question in the literature, they say, do you have someone with whom you can discuss important matters? And I think the people answering yes to that is at an all-time low. Mm, so, a, wow. so a lot of people, even, even if they, you know, perhaps, you know, don't physically only live alone, maybe they have, you know, maybe they have a housemate or maybe they do have a family or maybe they share space in some way that actually the, the sort of the quality of someone that you can dependably turn to is, is lower but again, it's this sort of paradox because we've also got services like you know, BetterHelp or people who are helping with mental health. That, that mm -hmm. stuff is so much more accessible, so much less stigmatized, you know, so much more affordable. But that's not that person who's going to kind of be there in a, in a meaningful, sustained way in your life for the long term, as you might think of as like a friend or a family member. Mm -hmm. And so it's this, I think, a little bit of a paradox that people have more places in some ways that they can be truly seen. You know, I used to think of this even when I you know, lived back in Boulder, like the workshop phenomenon. Like you go in the workshop and you're like, wow, these people really see me. But yet that workshop is going to finish and right. maybe you keep in touch with a few people, but they're not going to be. They're not going to pick you up from the airport. They're not going to bring you grapes if you go to hospital. They're not going to be there to, you know, have sit your dog or pet sit your dog. It's just it's a different thing. So it's this sort of weird mix of, in the one hand, more seen and more professional support, but perhaps less actual sort of kin tribal support that most humans would have experienced for most of our evolution like almost the tribe without which you couldn't even survive so it's, it's a marvel of, of modern existence in some ways that we can do so much so well without that 
that's allowed so much in, in individuation authenticity. And you know that I talk a lot about that authenticity piece. And it's almost like now as more authentic individuals, we need to rethink, well, what is the glue and the belonging and the national or global project and purpose that can unite a lot more individuated individuals. I don't think we're going to go back. We're not going to go back to being less individuated, but we mm -hmm. might need to go forward and say, oh, that's really cool. You're much more authentically you. You're much more authentically you. We have all these like range of lifestyles. So it's not just the, you know, if you grew up in England, it would have been like, well, what does the BBC of the 1950s say is the right way to live? That's probably what most people are aspiring to. But now in all the corners of the internet, we have all different and you know, legitimately valued lifestyles. You know, sexual expression, for instance, just one small segment of that. So that's great. And we now need, I think, to find ways to put back together what postmodernism has done such a great thing of deconstructing. You know, it's deconstructing the old barriers, whether that's patriarchy or sexism. And there's obviously more work to do, but we've done a lot of the lifting. And then, but what do we actually have that brings us together? You know, we, we don't believe the same things religiously, spiritually, maybe. We don't, you know, necessarily go to the same clubs and associations. So what, what now is going to glue us together more? And I, I, I don't know all the answers to that, but I do think together we need to be in that question. It's such a good point. And I just think of everyone's just like so busy these days, too. I was thinking about, you know, even just like yeah. scheduling a phone call to catch up. You know, I was scheduling a phone call just to catch up with a friend yeah. of mine, another coach who I interview all the time, too. And she's like, OK, how about the last week of July? You know, so yeah. far out in advance. Like, it's so rare that someone even just calls just randomly. Everything is just so scheduled and and everyone's so busy these days, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed that back in the day when I moved from Boulder to to the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. In Boulder, lots of things could happen relatively spontaneously and on a sort of like a short lead time. I think probably because people were running generally slightly less busy lives and there's also, you know, it's a much smaller place, right? So you're not going to be sort of stuck in traffic on the Bay Bridge. And then being up in the Bay Area and people being a bit more like, oh yeah, I'd love to get together. And, and But like we're now looking at, you know, plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four weeks out. And that mm -hmm. is just a very different thing if you want to be like social you know today or tomorrow this weekend but the but we have to sort of put it in the diary for a month out or on the calendar mm -hmm. for a month out it's such a less dense social fabric you know it's so almost true. more business-like in the kind of tempo of it, it so really is. yeah i think we need to i think we need to be mindful of that you know even as another small example obviously people got used to doing contactless delivery right which i think was an important you know covid protocol touch wood we are mostly you know through that and yet i think that social preference is starting to exist uh, i know even i've noticed it where it's sort of like oh yeah you can just leave it at the door i'm not even going to come to the door to say hey thank you <laughs> yeah. I, i'd rather you left it and then you went and then i pick it up and i'm, yeah. I'm kind of like i'm getting you know self-questioning about that i'm like what, what is that is that really a covid thing at this stage because if it is i'm at least being contradictory because i'm happy to go you know sit in all other places and cafes and whatever where i'm around you know, random people for much longer than this, you know, five second interaction on the doorstep. And I think it's a little bit of an antisocial behavior that got queued up by COVID that probably needs to be relaxed now. But it's almost like a preference now, like, no, just leave it. I'll go get it when they're gone kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a little concerning. I mean, I'm owning mm -hmm. it. That's a me thing. I'm not making that another people thing, but mm -hmm. I'm curious about that at a time when people feel that perhaps their social interaction is the least it's ever been face to face, that then we still have a preference for that you know it, it's almost the i think it's the great reckoning of the technology that we've unleashed and presumably we're only just on the the precipice of this next you know ai infused age 
And mm-hmm. I, I think there's some really important things that we have to reckon with collectively. And, and in some ways, the piece that I'm wanting to invite people into is I don't think we can just imagine that the the sort of the government, the powers that be are going to be able to figure that out for us. I, I don't have any true sense that the Senate with an average age of 65 and three, mm-hmm. 65 years and three months at the start of the last Senate, it's going to be hard for them collectively to figure out, I think, what we're going to do with this AI, which is really, I think, for our generations and generations even younger than us, it's going to be our thing to figure out how do we do this and have a society that we still like and that we're not so sort of atomized in some virtual augmented AI reality that we can't even kind of communicate in a authentic face-to-face kind of way. It's so true. We were watching an interview with one of the developers of something to do with AI. I forgot who it was. And they said what they're hoping for AI to help accomplish is for people to connect better with each other, which I thought, wow, that's interesting. It seems like it would just completely go in the other direction. Like the trends we're seeing now would just continue and get bigger and bigger and bigger (laughs) over time. It's really interesting. I know you mentioned authenticity. I completely forgot to mention at the beginning. I know you have a free master class. Yes. Three keys to a more authentic you. That is in the description, the episode details right now. If you're listening to the replay, that'll be the first link in the show notes. Is there anything you want to say on that? I know it's completely free for anyone who's interested. Yeah, check it out. We've had great feedback on it. If you're looking to bring more of the real you forward, which we could often think is the you that is trying less hard, has less of a sense that you have to be perceived by other people in a certain way, or even just that on reflection, you notice there are things that you took on in childhood or through cultural programming that don't quite feel like they're you, then this would be a great place to come and explore that. It's also got some really good content about the inner critic, which for nearly all of us is one of the difficult places in our development that cheats us of being more authentic because there's a voice there that's telling us, well, don't do that. You shouldn't do that. You'll look stupid. Who do you you think you are to do that? And so I break it out for people like, you know, where does that voice come from? How is it developmentally usefully as a child and how it's now really restrictive in your adulthood? And we need to learn to relax that and put it down. So yeah, three keys to a more authentic you. It's it's super accessible content, but it's rich and meaningful. I think that's the thing that people that come learn with me like that I, I don't dumb down. It's not just fad or tips and tricks. This is like, no, let's actually understand this from a, you know, a psychological perspective. And then let's put you in the driving seat so that you can claim more of your birthright. I happen to think that we now at this stage of our development in the world, like authenticity is becoming a little bit more of a birthright. And if you're feeling the pull to being more authentic, there are definitely things that you can do to support and accelerate that journey. And that's what I like to help people with. So yeah, come check it out. Yeah, I always recommend checking out anything Jack has going on. I know you have just offered some amazing free masterclasses over the year. Kana says she needs advice on her situation. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to call in whenever. We would love to talk with you and help you out. I'm just loving everything you're sharing. Is there anything else? I know we didn't really have like a set list of five bullet points we wanted to share, but is there anything you wanted to talk about when it comes to this topic that we didn't mention? I just think it's so important, all of this. Yeah. Well, one way into what I'm talking about, to kind of loop it back into the dating stuff, right? So and this is not my language, I think probably David Data popularized some of this language, but I'm not even sure if it came from him originally. You know, we can talk about being in relationship from a dependent perspective. And most of us are more familiar with this, this 
codependence that I'm dependent on you to feel okay, right? Or if you feel a certain way, I, I kind of feel a certain way. And that some of the practice and economical parts of this or, you know, how do I grow my independence so that I'm not dependent in an unhealthy way, right? And then people push into their independence, which is really important development, you know, you know, have a surer footing beneath themselves, perhaps spend a little bit more time on their own, get more connected to themselves. You know, I've done a lot of work with people about how to be less over there and more over here so that you're not hyper-focused on other people. You can become more attuned to yourself and notice what you need and what you want. And that is often important work and probably in particularly important work for women because generally women are possibly more relationally oriented, which can have them a little more focused on other than self. And so, you know, self-worth and self-love, that's a really important part of the journey. Now, the, once we've done a bit more of that, we might then want to say, well, ah, can I be in relationship, you know, intimate or otherwise from a different place. And we might call that interdependent. So how do I be an independent person? How do I claim my authentic self and, and own that I have some autonomy? And I'm doing something different probably than my great grandparents did. I don't probably need this person in a survival sense in quite the same way, but I want to be with them. And I want to do it from this interdependent, but I, I can't only be independent. I do have to lean in, right? I do have to depend on them. We do have to try and grow trust between us. I think we could also start to think about that at a bit of a broader level that we might be trying to work out how to build a more interdependent society, right? We've done a lot of the independence, I think, moving towards, you know, more people having a, you know, more flexibility in their work, more people having a side hustle or their own business or just a greater degree of autonomy over their lives. Obviously, that's not everyone. I'm talking in huge gross generalizations, but if you sort of compare to like the 1950s ideal of, let's say, you know, I don't know, join IBM or a company and you're going to be a company person. That's if you were working and in the workforce. And obviously lots of people weren't even invited into the workforce at that time. But sort of almost like the job for life thing, I think we've put down that script and it's a little bit more like how do you express yourself in your career? You know, we've got people doing job roles that, you know, two, five, ten years ago, we'd have no idea that these even categories would exist as ways of subsisting in the world, content creation, etc. And we may be asking the question, how do we build a more interdependent society where, in a sense, we have that autonomy and we have that individuality and we have that self-expressiveness, but we also acknowledge that we're not, you know, sort of in some isolated, avoidant attachment pattern, that we are in something together. You know, and the, sometimes we call this transpersonal, right? Like the, the, there's actually, there is something bigger than our individuality and that there is a certain... There's a certain intimacy to that in a strange way. Actually having to depend on the collective, the tribe more, there are risks to that. And there are maybe some compromises to be had. But I, I don't think we've yet figured out how to, how to build that kind of society. You know? And I think in this country, in particular, we're in America, right? There's, there's a lot of fear of the collective because it looks like communism. It looks like socialism. And America, I think, rightfully fought some tough battles against those ideologies. But we're talking about something that's different than that. It's sort of like a spirit of being in a we more, but still having your freedom and your individuality and all that, right? And I'm not going to say I know the exact social protocol that's going to deliver us there, but I think it is going to be necessary. I, I remember once a, a kind of a coach reflecting back to me, we were talking about intimacy and they were saying, well, you know, you talk about intimacy like it's having an intimate conversation or being really intimate with someone in a, you know, a physical or emotional way, which is obviously a component of intimacy. But there's sort of this other thing about intimacy, which is, you know, if you're in a family together and we've got limited resources, right? And 
you know, let's say there's two kids and one breaks the, the, a leg and that just needs a lot of time, attention and money, then it might mean that the other kid isn't going to go on the school trip this year. That's mm. also a form of intimacy. It's not maybe what we first think of, but it's sort of like, yeah, there's an impact to, to being in something together. And so we might have to say collectively, oh, we, we don't want a society where people are dying in them, you know, hundreds of thousands of opioid addiction, right? Or where the leading cause of death amongst teens is like gunshot or suicide. So gosh, what are, like, is there something that we might have to feel a bit more intimate about as in, in it together while still honoring all that you know, sense of autonomy and individuality? Like, how do we actually square that? How do we put that together? Because I, I think it's going to be needed. I don't think the definition of success can be, well, I did really well in my life and I you know, achieved my dreams. But yet the person down the road is, you know, dying of opioid addiction and someone else's mm-hmm. brother's just like been shot and someone else's sister's just committed suicide. That's not, for me at least, that's not a definition of a successful society. And so I think that the sort of what does it mean to be successful, we can start possibly to open up that question a bit more. And I'm sure some people already have, but to like, wow, how, how are we successful together? Because if we're not successful and, and people are kind of dropping dead of things that are like possibly preventable, that's not okay, I don't think. Right. Right. So, you know, again, we can disagree about well, how do you actually de- deliver that? And I don't mean to get into the all the politics of that, but just, yeah, sort of appealing to the sense that we probably want to be part of a tribe more than most of us are experiencing. And maybe there's a new way that that's going to be put together in the 21st century. And, and it might actually look better than what we've had in the past. That's my sense. So I, I don't feel hopeless. I feel like that's a big challenge, but I'm, I'm sort of like, oh, I think there's a way that we could put this together, but it's actually going to need a lot of us to participate in, in perhaps in some new kinds of ways. That is so interesting. And even when it comes to relationships too, I see a question in the chat from Emily. She says, yes, how do we do interdependence? Would love to hear anything practical regarding how to keep a relationship from becoming codependent. I think that's a great question, Jack, if you have any thoughts on that. And then I see someone called in, we can take that next. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks for the question. So I I think one thing could just be to have some shared reality in a relationship about what that might look like, right? So if if we're using a different analogy, right? If we're saying, well, part of what we want to do is keep each other healthy. And so we're going to notice, you know, if we don't exercise in a week, we're going to kind of notice that and pay attention to it, right? Or if we notice that we've got on the takeout train, we're going to notice that and we're going to go and, you know, order in some organic veggies, or we're going to do one shop a week where we're really mindful of what we shop. So, I think if there's a shared reality between you that our codependence might look a bit like this. Like if, if, if I know that you're upset, I find it hard to be okay. And so I want us both to be mindful of that. You know, I'll look out for it because that's not happening here, but it's also a property of the we in our togetherness. So how can we both look out for that? And, you know, maybe we even look out for it in the way that we get supported by, you know, our community or any kind of professional help that we're looking looking to have. I think one of the biggest ways to break down codependence is to have some time on your own, right? So to, in a simple way, you could think of a relationship as an I and an I that wants to be a we. And sometimes we're going to be a we, and sometimes we're going to be an I, I, right? So there might be times where, yeah, you know, you're actually going to be doing your thing and I'm going to be doing my thing, or we have slightly different focuses and just sort of practicing that movement between those two things and noticing where does that get difficult? You know, is there a kind of separation anxiety? Is there 
a differential in communication between the two people and actually we need to talk about that and find something that works a little better between us. One other way of breaking codependence is to have other places that you receive support and love, right? So that you're not overly load-bearing on the relationship. So it might just be having a quick think, well, what are my different love buckets? Well, I get love when I you know, connect with the dog. I get love when I hang out with my family of origin. I get you know, love when I'm with my good friends. I get love when I take care of you know, my baby or my niece. I get love when I'm with myself, right? And self-love, and I can think about how I might fill up that bucket. So it's almost like you know, multiple supports into the relationship. Um, there is a thing that we, you know, the, the fancy phrase is relational contingent self-esteem. So, you know, how much is my self-esteem contingent upon how other people that I relate with perceive me? Now, nearly all of us are going to have some of that, but that can be something that you can become aware of and just sort of practicing noticing where do you feel like it's hard for you to, to honor what's authentic for you? Where do you feel like it's hard for you to honor what's true for you? And even if you don't know the specific practice that's going to help that, you know, awareness through time is curative. You know, so I always say attention tends to trump strategy. It's not always true, but it's often true. So just the raw power of putting attention on something through time, and I mean realistically through time, right, as in any of these patterns of codependence might have formed for decades. So we want to you know, give ourselves some slack that it might take some time, you know, months, years to fully move some of these patterns. You can even just use little sentence structures like, I notice that I want to save you right now, right? Or I notice part of me doesn't feel okay that you're upset. So part of me is trying to sort of soothe you from being upset but partly that is motivated because I want me to feel more okay. So even just the honesty to notice the things that aren't okay and if there's something that you do to displace that, right? So sometimes we're completely burnt out and what we need is to someone to give us a hug, but we're going around kind of ministering to other people because that's sort of all we know what to do. Mm. And so having that awareness to say, oh God, really actually what I need right now is I need to put my feet up or I need to take a rest and have a hug. And I need to break that spell that can come over me that I've got to just keep giving to everyone else. And I can only you know, do me you know, at the end, but then there's nothing really left for me. You know, I, I think there's some good literature, honestly, out there on codependency. And I don't think it's something to be uh, afraid of because in the model of dependence, independence, interdependence, it probably is you know, what we call like a transcend and include model. And that's fancy speak for just saying we're always going to have those structures within us. So there's going to be a codependency within us. There's going to be an independence within us, and we're aiming for interdependence. But it doesn't mean that we might not have times where we, we are being a little bit more codependent, but maybe that's actually fine. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think it needs to be perfect. I think it, we can be realistic and reasonable with ourselves. It just might be we don't want to constellate the foundation as only codependence. You know, but sometimes we've got to kind of work with, with, with what's here. And, and any earlier structures tend to stay within us, even whilst we kind of ascend to different ways of being. So great. I love everything you shared. I hope that was helpful, Emily, and anyone who can relate to that question. I know I certainly can sometimes. Just for the sake of time, I feel like I have so much I could add to that. But do you want to take this caller next? I know we only have about 15 or 20 minutes left. Yeah, let's take a caller. Sounds fun. Okay, let's see. So I am uh, opening you up. Hi, Kena. Hi. 
Thanks so Bye. much for taking my call. Absolutely. Thanks for calling in. Yeah. So I'm going to try and relate this to what you guys are talking about, but I really wanted to call in before I knew what you guys were going to talk about. Yeah, don't worry too much if it doesn't direct, like, get, get what you need. I think that's why okay. you know, if there's a question that's there. Let's get you what you need. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it does sort of relate. I just started seeing this guy and I'm basically getting very triggered. I'm trying to be my authentic self, mm -hmm. but I struggle with a very severe anxious attachment style. So mm -hmm. it's often that's what feels like is my authentic self. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And I'm trying not to give into that. So yeah, I kind of just wanted to get your guys' opinion on my current situation. I started hanging out with this guy like three weeks ago. He came on like super strong at first, was like basically telling me, he did tell me he didn't even want to date anyone else like within the first week of knowing each other. Mm -hmm. I have been love bombed a good amount of times and I kind of felt like that was what was happening. But it felt like great too because, you know, it's like, they're telling you all of these wonderful things and like showing up and he took me out to like a really nice dinner and was just basically being like so awesome. One time he texted me like, oh yeah, or we were on the phone and he said, oh, I'll text you when I get home in like 15 minutes. It had been like 20 minutes and he texted me and he goes, hey, I'll text you when I'm off the phone with this parent, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, wow, you know, that's so amazing. Like he's texting me to tell me he's going to text me. And that feels great for my anxious attachment style. Like, mm -hmm. great. But I did end up sleeping with him sooner than I wanted. And I felt like things just changed, like, real drastically after that. Mm. And basically, I had a talk with him and said I wanted to slow things down because I just felt like things were like already fizzling out and I didn't want that. And that sort of confused him, I think. And then also kind of gave him an excuse to just sort of drop out of the picture even more, maybe. So he just wasn't really reaching out that much or like making plans or sounding like super excited like he was before. After our talk, you know, it was just kind of weird. It felt super distant. We hung out again, like the week after and oh, I had another talk with him and I feel like I do this in the beginning of relationships. I get really anxious and maybe create drama where there doesn't really need to be, but I'm just thinking inside myself, like, well, this is my feelings and I'm confused because he was so into it. Then he wasn't. And I didn't feel like it really was our talk that changed things. I felt like things changed before then. So anyway, we had another talk. I was like, did something change? And he said, no, I'm just trying to do what you asked. Can I jump in here? Absolutely. Is that right? Like, I, 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 is that okay, Helena? 
Oh yeah, I was going to say, I know you have some great stuff to say. We had a caller in our last episode where it was a little bit similar, I think. Ah, well, I appreciate just the the share and also everything that you're tracking here and kind of how lucidly you're talking about it all. So props to you for that. I think it can be good to give a guy sort of, I don't know what expression was like exits. Uh, Cause then if he takes one, even if it's difficult or even mildly devastating, that's really good information, right? Even if part of you doesn't want that because you wanted it to go somewhere. So I wouldn't be afraid of, of that. Uh, what I think I hear you saying and your intuitions in touch with is that it revealed that perhaps he, for whatever reason, wasn't fully into it rather than there's a thing that you did that caused him not to be fully into it. I think that's sometimes the reframe that's good is to be out of the, I caused this business versus the, this is probably revealing what was already true of his desire or, or what was already just in the dynamic between us. I know it can be difficult if you have been physical and then part of you maybe has regretted that or it was felt a little bit premature and then you see the drop off after it. I know that can be really painful and I hope it's not hurting too much. See, the, the confusing thing is while he does feel way more distant, uh -huh. he's still showing up and he's telling me that he's interested and I felt like I did kind of give him an exit or maybe yeah. even like both of the talks were like semi an exit and he just was like both times like no you know I'm into this and so that's yeah. why it's really hard for me to not feel very anxious getting sort of half-ass like texts or just attention yeah. mm -hmm. you know well maybe we could but, characterize it like this maybe he's interested but maybe he doesn't have the minimum effective dose of interest in order for this to be a good place for you to invest. Because we could say, if you're seeing it right, that you have some anxious attachment, the, the way that you're going to really work with that is going to be with someone that can really work with it with you, right? Not that you're kind of shying away from it. It's like, yeah, you know, relating with me, sometimes I'm going to get a little anxious, okay? Here's what you need to know. I would you know, not be afraid of that because that's the reality of what's going to be optimal for you. And if someone gets into a relationship with you, that's going to be part of the bargain. And it will become not just a you issue, it will become a little bit of a we issue, but also you know, a we potential, something that you can work on and, and actually you know, get, get some traction with. So it might be confusing because he hasn't completely left the building. But it sounds like his interest isn't at that level that, that makes this something that's obvious for you to keep investing in. And it might be that he's not going to go away. Sometimes as guys, we don't go away until you actually set that up. Because it might be that you know part of the you claiming your authentic power in this is actually you, you know, noticing your intuition. And you might not be there yet. It might be there's still more data that you're gathering. But it seems like it might be moving in that direction. Like when you use phrases like half-ass. Yeah, okay, you, you know what's kind of coming in your direction. So even if that's not the conclusion that part of you perhaps wanted... For something to be good for you, I think it's going to need to be someone who's like, okay, yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, and maybe I have a little bit of my attachment stuff and we're going to be including that in, uh, in how we relate together. And you're going to need a minimum amount of investment for you to feel like that's even a good possibility for you, I think. Mm -hmm. 
So basically we left it at, we're going to talk on Monday. And he was like, I do like you, but this is what I can offer. And you just think about it and tell me if, you know, it's enough or something. When he says, this is what I can offer, what is the essence of what he can offer? Or maybe I make it simply, he- are you an authentic yes to it? I guess is the question. Mm, see, like, I'm definitely interested in enough to see if it could work. But I feel like I have to somehow detach at least a good amount. Because I do feel like a lot of this is me. So I don't want to just throw away something that could yeah. be good because I'm anxious and I know this is my my pattern. So I was thinking, I don't know, maybe on Monday I could say, yeah, I want to continue, but I feel really ignored when like I don't get a text back and I would like to see you more than once a week. I, I don't know if maybe we're just not a match, but... I just don't want to sabotage it is all, you know, like yeah, I want to be I totally like that. secure that like and okay in myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I heard you say that he started pulling back even before you had the conversation of let's slow things down. Something's not feeling right. Is that right? Yeah. That's what I felt. Yeah, I think so. And you don't want to beat yourself up for maybe I slept with him too soon. Maybe things were moving too fast. And it's like you want to see what a guy does after you sleep with him, right? So maybe this is a big gift that, yes, it hasn't even been a month. So maybe he just leapt before he looked. He kind of overpromised and wasn't able to deliver on that. I don't know. To me, it just seems like this is not what it should feel like. In the first month, something seems a little off in this situation. And you don't want to beat yourself up thinking, I if I had just done this differently, if I, you know, right? It doesn't seem like this is maybe the right fit. But yeah, I don't know. Jack, do you have any other thoughts on this situation? Yeah, I agree with you. I have some sensitivity to the awareness that's being brought about, well, I'm anxious. So how do Mm -hmm. I kind of deal with that? How do I know what is an impact of my anxiety or perspective from my anxiety versus perhaps a more objective truth or some other form of truth? And I get that that can be a difficult discernment. You know, maybe I'm just offering the possibility that there's someone that can get that about you. And yeah, it might be that there's some things that, that are going to be worked on there. But they, my gut says they're going to have to be coming towards you with, a, with something a little bit more and, and more consistent. Sort of rather than, I think any time a guy says, well, this is what I can offer, sort of take it or leave it. I just imagine that something about that doesn't feel wholehearted to me. You know, a relationship can be really difficult even when you are really wanting it to work. It doesn't always work out. So if it's sort of like, well, I can only offer this, I'm curious about that. You know, a guy has a right to say that and a woman has a right to say that, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm available for A, but I'm not really available for B and C. But I think if you're aiming for A, B, C, then you might have to take the, the stand for that. And maybe part of, for you, part of the trust is that you aren't judging yourself about anxiety, but you're trying to notice who might be someone that's good to support you in that so that you can actually get to a better place with it. This doesn't, I think, have that sense. You know, when someone's saying, well, this is what I can offer. Because actually, I think, let's just say you're incredibly anxious. And I'm not saying you are, but if someone is, 
then it's not going to work for them to be in a relationship from the perspective of, well, this is all I can offer. That's just not mm-hmm. going to work. That's an implausibility, I think, of, of moving forward. So yeah, it might be that you have certain needs that some people don't have, you know, but there might be certain other things, you know, because being anxious is a gift and a liability, right? The liability is, yeah, sometimes your anxiety is going to like kick into some tension or you're maybe going to do something a little anxiously, impulsively, right? Okay. But then the gifts are, you're going to be really paying attention to what is between us. That's the gift of the anxious, right? It's like I'm tracking. I notice the emotional distance. And yeah, sometimes I need to notice the emotional distance is, is, is a little cold or a little further out than I'd like. And I've got to be okay and just kind of like chill a little bit on that or learn to regulate or learn to ask through words for what I need. But it's not only the liability, right? People also get the gift of you. Like you are probably a better relator in certain ways than people that have some other orientations in their attachment. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm just, like I said, I don't want to sabotage it myself. If it could be good, you know, I want to address my own issues, but at the same time, I'm not sure if it's good for me to be (laughs) just like accepting this. It's also weird because I'm, I've been on more dates with this other guy than this guy. And he's, showing up way more and I'm just like pretty much uninterested and I don't know if I'm just still really attracted to like the part of me that was trying to heal whatever wounds I needed and I'm just attracting like the wrong people or if I just like the other guy more and I don't like this guy and Mm. yeah yeah. So I don't know if I should even keep seeing the other guy or it just feels like a mess. Kind of. <laughs> and it just sucks because I really like this one guy, but he's not really giving me yeah. a lot. Well, sometimes it does suck, right? Sometimes, you know, one person's more into it. Sometimes the other person's more into it. Sometimes the person that really shows up for you isn't the one that you're attracted to. But maybe there is someone that's going to be both for you, right? That's both attractive to you and wants to show up for you and is willing to do the work with you. So mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you have to say no for something else to take a space in. You know, I mean, there's just one thing under all of this, and I get it, it can be hard if you're feeling anxious, but any time that you can get a little slower and quieter with yourself and just see if you can tap into your own voice of guidance to yourself and intuition, I think that's going to be really powerful. It's not always linear, right? Things that can be complex. It's not always black and white. Sometimes someone shows up and you're like, wow, they are 60% of everything I ever wanted, but this 40% is kind of, it doesn't really work between us. And that's hard, but that sometimes is the truth. So I wouldn't, you know, be too afraid of finding out what is true here, even if it brings up some difficult feelings, because it will move you in the direction that life wants you to move in. Mm -hmm. So like a final question, do you guys think, I mean, should I walk away from this guy? Or I don't think I'm totally ready to, because I'm... I'm worried that I've been creating drama and maybe I'm too set in my own ways of how things should be. And if I like him, you know, maybe I should try and be flexible. Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I feel like over the years I've gotten so much more like, nope, this is not the right one. Drop him and move on. But I've... (laughs) 
<laughs> I probably should be a little more sensitive to all of that. I personally, I think you'll know when the time is right. That's something only you can answer. Maybe there's something more to learn here. Maybe you want to have that conversation with him where he tells you what he can offer and see what he says. I mean, my tendency is just to go through the heartbreak now, you know, don't get more and more invested in something where he's kind of shown you what it is he has to offer. If that's not in alignment with what you want, I mean, don't make any rash decisions. I think your intuition will tell you when the time is right and the choice will be super obvious and crystal clear. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jack, do you have any final thoughts on that? No, I think that's a good summary. I like the perspective that you're you're coming from there. So, yeah. You'll know. I think it's always going to be obvious. You're welcome. Thank I, you so much for calling in. I will say one thing that would be real helpful as like a topic. I feel like having an anxious attachment style, you kind of can't necessarily just trust your intuition all the time. Mm-hmm. And it makes it really challenging. And it would be interesting to know if there's any ways to discern what is what. I think that's a fantastic topic. I'm not personally an expert in that, but I think I'm interviewing someone who is next month. Or Jack, I would love to bring you on again sometime soon. I think that would be such a great topic for a whole episode. Absolutely. Thank you for that suggestion. Yeah, thank you guys so much. You're welcome. I'll go ahead and close you up now. And that was such great advice you gave Jack. And for anyone who's in that situation, I know Jack, we did another episode together last time. I actually just posted it recently. It's called Trusting Your Path, How to Deal with Anxiety, Impatience, and Self-Doubt or something like that. And about halfway through that episode, we had another caller in a similar situation. And the advice you gave was fantastic in terms of having an anxious attachment style, wondering like, was it my anxiety that pushed him away? Am I having unrealistic expectations? Or was he just not in it to the level where I need him in it? Was he not on the pitch with me? I think is how you said it. And what you said just blew me away. It was so good. So everyone (laughs) go check out that episode. Yeah, it's called Trusting Your Path. Because I know we're out of time today. I do see one more question in the chat that was really good. Is codependency the same as people pleasing? And I'd love to hear any quick thoughts you have on that before we close out. So I think they might often run together, although I think they are slightly different. So one just you know, qu- quick thing that I'll throw out. If, if people pleasing is something that you're prone to, and obviously many of us are prone to it, if you've never checked out the Enneagram, if you check out point two or type two on the Enneagram, I think it does a really good job of of talking about this element within that type, but also the part of any of us that might be prone to people pleasing. I, I do think they go together, but I think codependency can be something like, I'm not okay if you're not okay. So it's it's almost like I, I get so wrapped up. So it doesn't necessarily just mean I'm trying to please you. It's almost like I'm I'm so much over there with you. You know, it sounds like Alina's got someone coming on that might might be able to stake out that territory even more clearly. Yeah, I'd love to bring you on again, too, because I know you probably have a lot to say about people pleasing. And for anyone who has that tendency, I know I definitely do. It's been an issue my whole life. It probably will be forever for me. And I think a lot of people drawn to this work are definitely that way. I think probably what you share in your free masterclass would be helpful. Well, right? totally, because that's the the antidote, right, to being people pleasing is actually to be your more authentic self, and to 
distinguish if you are giving to get, right? So, so there's a way that I can present my people pleasing sort of almost like, well, I'm just a really good person, right? And I just really care and I give. And obviously those things might be true, but normally the people pleasing is a strategy to feel safe or a strategy to get something or a strategy to assuage my guilt or there's, there's something deeper that might be happening there. So it, it can be really useful to, to dig into it. And normally what people find is, oh, actually, I, when I go to people please, there's something else that's happening that I'm not so in touch with, right? Actually, I'm people pleasing, but I'm exhausted or I'm people pleasing, but I feel neglected. And so I'm, or I'm people pleasing because I'm avoiding conflict. So we want to find out what is the thing that's there and how to work on that because that's going to be your path of, of authenticity, right? That's going to be the path of you actually acknowledging, oh, when that impulse comes up in me, rather than quickly moving over there and trying to help that person, maybe I actually need to learn how to ask for something I've never asked for. Or maybe I need to be okay that when I'm not feeling helpful, I'm still valuable. And I need to learn how to own that, that my value is not just in my helpfulness or my pleasing. Or I need to learn that there's this part of me that actually isn't pleasing. It's you know provocative or confrontational or rebellious or anti-authoritarian. And I, I need to really learn how to be in touch with that. But it got kind of suppressed in childhood or it wasn't the thing that was valued in the family structure, right? Basically, somehow back in the past, we could just imagine that people pleasing got synced up with either I felt safe or I felt loved or I felt valued, some kind of mix of those. And now we're offering the possibility that you being your more authentic self could have you feel safer and more loved and more valued. So yeah, if that's of interest, I'd definitely come and check out the masterclass. So that's in the episode details. Now, if you're listening live, if you're listening to the replay, again, that will be the first link in the show notes. Just scroll down if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. If you're listening on Spotify, you might have to click see more and that will open up the show notes and that'll be the first link in there. Totally free. I definitely think I'm going to have to check it out myself <laughs> based on what you just said. I think it'd probably be helpful for anyone, no matter where you are in life. Three keys to a more authentic you, I believe it's called, right? Yep, that's it. Okay. Thank you for staying over, Jack. This was so great. I loved this conversation. Kana in the chat says, thank you both so much. Michelle says, such an interesting conversation. Thank you both. You're very welcome. This was yeah. great. Is there anything else you want to say before we close out? Thanks for having me. It's always good to be here. Thanks for everyone's participation. And I'm just making a general invitation, right? Come to the masterclass for a more authentic you. And I also want you in this broader conversation about how do we find some more authentic ways of being together. So you're invited. Yes, I would love to talk some more about this sometime if you want to do maybe a part two later in the summer or the fall yeah. or whenever you're available. Anytime. That would be great. Yeah, yeah, this was so great. I loved all the things that you laid out here. And I love that maybe there isn't necessarily a solution yet, but we're all in this together, right? So yes. I just absolutely love that. And if you're listening to the replay of this, if you'd like to join me for my live broadcasts, I go live every other week. I'll include a link to download the Bullhorn podcast app it's totally free. You can call in or type your questions into the chat when I'm live. It's so much fun. I just love connecting with my community here. Jack, thank you so much again. This was You're such an welcome. amazing conversation. Thanks for staying a little over too. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll talk to you again very soon. Good luck, everyone. Thanks. Bye.
The biggest mistake women make when a man is hot and cold, acting distant or pulling away is something called a connection barrier, and it only pushes him further away. If you'd like to read about what a connection barrier is so you don't accidentally make it, go to forever1234.com. Again, that's forever1234.com.